Hey everybody, this is just a heads up that this interview segment, while great, might be sensitive for some people. We talk about some really triggering topics, so if you're not in the mood for some intense talk, maybe skip this one. All right, we'll see you on the show. So I'm just going to press record and then we can just do the fuck whatever. And uh, I think we just started the podcast. Yeah, we did. So I'm here with Adam McIntyre, who who is our, uh, I guess, he's the editor of the show or engineer, um, editor, something like that. I don't know exactly what my job title is, but um, I'm... You're uh, new to the team. Yeah, I'm putting stuff in places and adjusting volumes of things. Yeah, I mean, so just to give listeners an idea, I still write the show and record it for the most part. I definitely still record it. I don't know why I just said that. I definitely record it myself. <laughs> it's probably pretty obvious. And edit for content, and sometimes I'm pretty bad at that too. But Adam comes along and works his magic and makes it sound a whole lot nicer. Um, so thanks a lot yeah. for that. I feel yeah, like your gifts have definitely uh, helped just improve the consistency and the quality. And so I'm really grateful. And I just wanted to bring you on the show because you're really interesting and to Ooh. introduce you to the listeners. And uh, yeah, just uh, get to chat because, yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for letting me sharpen my skills on your podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Um, so we, you were a listener and reached out and, um, kind of volunteered to help out and then it's gone from there. And I feel like it's been a really, uh, good sort of still developing, uh, working relationship and, uh, you're super talented and interesting in your own right. So why don't you kind of give people a little introduction? Well, I really enjoyed doing the theme song. Um, so like anybody who's heard the do theme song over the last few episodes, that's me, um, doing all the stuff on there. And I just went for a walk in the woods and thought about that melody and decided to come home and flesh it out. And that's kind of like the most me thing that there is, is like just me taking a walk in the woods and then getting a musical idea and coming back home. And walking into the studio in my house and just like making a song happen uh, from top to bottom, or in this case, it was just a short piece of music, but that's... A jingle, if you will. Right, yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, I love doing jingles. I love doing... <laughs> I've done a radio jingle, um, and I'd, I'd like to do more stuff like that, but the... Um, uh, usually, I record bands and am in bands. Yeah. Yeah, and, you're a musician by trade. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's kind of the thing. It's my, it's, yeah, it's my trade. It's my skill and it's, uh, you know, less useful than ever, but <laughs> I'm still enjoying doing it. I mean, one could say the same for a traditional hand-drawn animator slash astrologer. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's not like I have a super marketable talent. <laughs> uh, and yet 
we persist. Yeah. I mean, I think when you, um, like when you have a, when you're gifted in a certain area or just drawn or called to a certain thing, um, an art or a craft, like if it's your passion and your interest that keeps you going, it's not, I mean, for me, I've pretty much somehow been able to pay my bills one way or another by being a professional creative since I graduated. Which is unbelievable. Like I, I people, know. People listening to the podcast are immediately going, they're like your enemy now. I'm sorry. <laughs> because, because I you're mean, living like, the I dream. was like really broke for a long time. And uh, I mean, I do have a day job that isn't the podcast where I do make other people's stuff for them that, you know, like I don't, I do not get to call the shots. And, right. and like, it is a job. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of why I started the podcast initially, like uh, a year ago almost. Um, it was clear to me then that I they, I asked for a promotion, and they were like, "No, not anytime soon." And I was like, "Just, I mean, look, I'm in, I'm a Sagittarius, and I'm a Scorpio rising, or no, not uh, my Midheavens in Scorpio, which is all about my career, and so I get really intense." And, um, especially about like things that I want to accomplish. And when I, I asked like, what is it that I can do to earn a promotion? They were like, we don't know. And, okay. and I was just like, <laughs> and I, uh, I was just like, well then I will just start something. On my own. <laughs> and yeah. like I'm gonna go be creative somewhere else also. Yes. You'll all see. Yeah, I'll show you. <laughs> and actually the funny thing is I kinda haven't really made anything that you can show other than listen to. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> um so I mean uh if there's one way to get me to do something, just tell me I can't do it. Word. And yeah. uh like I will make it my damn mission to make sure I fucking show everyone and it's kind of uh it's probably not healthy I'm a little bit obsessive okay so you saw my chart I'm an I'm like an Aries and Aries and Aries and Aries and Aries let me just pull it up again hold on one second and we can pause here for a second uh well I was I was gonna say like how how same um, when I was 17 years old, I drove up to a music store. I'm from Montgomery, Alabama. And I drove up to a music store in Birmingham because uh, all of the music stores in Montgomery were tapped out, basically. Like, they, we knew that they didn't have anything that we were looking for. And we were just looking for rarer mm-hmm. and older musical items. Mm-hmm. So uh, we went up to this music store and I... Guitar playing skill level wise, I'm like basically the same I was when I was 17 and I'm 41. Um, I've like gotten better at at what I do, mm-hmm. but like same hands, um, same, same guitar playing skill level. And the guy working in the music store was like, I'm playing through an amplifier and because uh, I'm thinking about buying this and it's like some late 60s early 70s fender amplifier and he comes out and he's like hey man i don't hear anything in your playing like i think you should just pack it in and like pick pick some other other thing to do 
And oh, I, I stood up and set the guitar down and looked at my friend and we'd both just left. And, um, you know, like I, I really don't have a whole lot of like, I told you so, like I, you know, I showed you, you know, but I'm still playing guitar and fuck that guy. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you have a quite a bit of success in your career, like musically, I think. Uh, well, I'm say. still doing it. Yeah, you know, um, I'm still doing it, and I have like gradually, slowly floated upward, um, kind of uh, against, against my own designs. Um, the and the other the other weird story like that is I have is the, I had like a residency at a club in Nashville. I did ten years in Nashville. Um, I hope I never have to live there again. Um, and you know, big big uh, slam on on Nashville. Um, not sorry. Uh, it's okay. My family's from East Tennessee, so. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm familiar with the Tri Cities area myself. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the guy at the venue said, and this was, I agree with him. Um, but he was like, I just feel like you need to be a lead guitarist and not a front man. And I at that point was, you know, fronting a band not because I wanted to be, but because nobody else would sing my songs. Like, I mean, I get it. Like, yeah, if you came into my band and you're singing my songs, like that's going to squash your creativity for sure. But it did kind of let me know, like, well, that's why the audience is not hanging around because there's a guy up there doing a job that he doesn't feel like he's qualified for and we're all picking up on it. So that just sort of like lends itself to a little bit of imposter syndrome, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, and I've had that before to an extent. Uh, Early in my career, I was working at a pretty well-known animation studio. It was one of, it was my first real, like after college job in the industry where I was basically, I got my dream job. And then Mm. I was like, Oh fuck. I don't know if I'm good enough to be here. Of course I was, but, uh, you know, like I have a fragile, um, constitution sometimes where I do feel really vulnerable and feel like maybe I'm not good enough. And it's, it comes from, uh, you know, like, uh, experiences I had growing up. Oh, for sure. You, know, you, you like, learn a lesson about what you're doing. And then, you know, like the minute you get comfortable doing it, you're like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. Well, it wasn't so much that it was like uh, that my insecurities um, were, were always kind of there, but they were just in full blown vulnerability mode mm. with, uh, and I, it didn't help that the industry I mean, the animation industry in general is very, very, very male dominated. And for example, um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it doesn't make it easier when you are a self-conscious woman starting out and competitive men pick up on that and take advantage of that to their, to their advantage. Um, so I'm not naming names or anything like that, but I started working the same day as this guy at this job and we were the same level. Mm -hmm. Like we were hired to be the same job basically. Um, And he asked me how to use this program that we had to use. And I had experience with it. And so I was like, yeah, I'll show you whatever. And then like showed him a bunch of stuff. And then he like worked for a couple of hours on something 
that was, I mean, it was nice looking, but it wasn't like the end of the world. And then at the end of the day, he ran to the head of the studio and was like, look what I can do. And then he became my boss. Okay. And I was just like, <laughs> what in the ever loving fuck? You know, and then when it came time to for layoffs, because that's just kind of what happens at animation studios, mm-hmm. like you finish a show and you've put yourself out of business. Mm-hmm. Like the show's done. And it's so, like working at a place seasonally where they're like, that of. holiday's over now, so bye. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and so like I was of course the first person he laid off because I knew his secret. And I was just like mm. <sighs> it just wasn't a healthy situation for me mentally. Yeah. Creatively, like I loved doing the work that I was doing, but the whole time I was sitting there like motherfucker, 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 fuck you. Like, to the guy who was my direct boss, Mm -hmm. like, in my head, being like, I fucking hate you. Like, I would never, ever, ever do that to somebody. It would never even occur to me. I I wonder if if he even realized the extent of what he did there. Probably not. Oh, guess what? (laughs) You know? He works for Disney now. Okay. Yeah. So, he's done well for himself. (laughs) Well, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I my equivalent stories for stuff like that are not equivalent stories for stuff like that. You know, like I don't have generally am not discriminated against. I get to be like the the thing, the being yeah. that's yeah. not getting discriminated against. If anything, the tide is kind of turning now because like straight white dudes are not interesting you <laughs> yeah. know so like it, now now the thing is like would you please stop being a straight white dude and be interesting i think there was a bit about that on the last like crashing if mm-hmm. you've seen that show at all um basically like uh the comedian who's the star of the show gets passed over for a, an up-and-comer who's just more colorful and more diverse and the lead in the show is a well, I mean, he still is the lead in the show. So mm-hmm. he, he got his, but he's like complaining that he got passed over because he's like a boring white guy. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's, I almost said it a minute ago, like I just spent my whole life getting good. It's something that nobody cares about anymore. And um, <laughs> so I'm a straight white dude playing rock and roll. And that that world doesn't even really exist anymore. And then when you have new bands coming into it or somebody starts being successful at it and they're a straight white bunch of dudes, they're kind of a laughing stock because they, you know, they're kind of foolish in, in the I mean, look foolish at Mar- looking. I mean, look at Maroon 5's Super Bowl performance mm-hmm. as like a prime example. I'm not a fan, but I mean, they are kind of quintessentially... Mm-hmm. Playing straight white dude power pop rock. Yes, I mean, and I I didn't watch that. I I watched the highlights literally just to see what Big Boy did, <laughs> and uh, him he gets to come out and go ATL ho in front of everybody, and it just sets the whole place on fire. And like, hey, guess what? You know, like five seconds of a dude being charismatic is better than a white dude trying to pretend like he knows what rock and roll is. I am so sorry to the dudes in Maroon 5. Let me give you a little tiny bit of history. Uh, I I don't have any direct history with them, but I was just telling somebody um, yesterday, 
that they used to be Cars Flowers and Cars Flowers and I and a couple other people that I still know used to be like fairly consistently like top 10, top 20 in the power pop charts on a thing called mp3.com, <laughs> which apparently like there's still a web page there, but it's not the same thing. So it used to be the case that musicians could, like, if you had a band and you were, like, thrash metal, you could go into mp3.com and upload your song into the thrash metal section. And it would become part of a playlist of the new stuff. And people would rate it. They'd, like, thumbs up or thumbs down it, five stars or two stars or whatever. Um, and if your song was pretty good, you'd see it in the top 10, top 20. And nice. so I yeah. got used to seeing Cara's flowers in that. And somebody corrected my timeline on this, but, um, they had auditions for a new lead singer at one point and Adam Levine joined. And then I thought that like the same time they just changed their name to Maroon 5. But mm. apparently there was like a year in between. So I just remember this band being in in flux for a minute. And uh but anyway, yeah, like they you know, back 15 years ago the power pop community was like way behind those dudes. And now the the rock community is very much like you're not one of us and we don't know what you're doing, you know, with your hot pink 80s guitar and the tattoos yeah. all like what are you what are you trying to do and it's yeah uh, all of us rock guys at this point smell like we're trying too hard mm. yeah i mean i i kind of feel like that is not just in the rock and roll community um there's a pickle uh <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to do the rest of this part of the interview with a dog in my lap. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> she will uh, make out with you oh. for as long as you let her. Okay, apparently. Yeah, she's a good girl, though. All right. And scene. <laughs> um, I, I mean, like, I feel like they're, we're on the edge of a time of change stylistically for a lot of things. I, I just feel like there's a lot of different genres of stuff that I look at and it's completely predictable and boring to look at. And, yeah. and I'm like, what the hell comes next? And I, I like for the life of me, don't know what it is yet, but mm -hmm. um, I would be thrilled if I found out. Um, but I don't know exactly what it is. And I'm just kind of, I mean, there's a lot of really talented artists, but I, no, nobody out there is really doing anything that's making me go, whoa, that is the next look of the next 10 years. You know what right. I mean? Well, one one issue is that somebody out there probably is doing exactly what, what you want. But it is with a, a totally level playing field like we have now in the music industry. The good part of that is that anyone can put music out. Anyone can be doing it. Um, kind of the downside of that is that there's nobody standing at the forefront. Like if, if millions of people watched the Super Bowl the other night and watched 
again, I really hate. <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not hating on them, but um, yeah, but just, we all know. But yeah. just imagine, like, if if all of the hip hop fans yeah. watch that and they're like, so that's what rock is like now. Um, you know, Ooh, or yeah. or the the kids watching that normally are pop fans, mm-hmm. uh, they're like, so this is what you know. This is the rock and roll that dad says is so much better than what I like. I doubt it. Uh, I you mean, know? I feel like well, it's harder to reach the people that would be your fans. I mean, maybe it's just that like I have a very di- like discerning taste, and I'm I'm personally just sort of turned off by anything that is considered mainstream Mm -hmm. um and it's not like i i intentionally have been like ooh, it's mainstream so it's gross it's just like doesn't appeal to me um well how many times also did you get burnt there's reasons for that there's like loads of psychological reasons why like smart folks would be like mainstream stuff sucks but like how many times were you into something when you were younger and everybody else you know, made fun of you for it. Maybe oh, I'm projecting way, way, way. But I then mean, later on, they like that stuff. Oh, I mean, that happens a lot. Like, I mean, like I've always had the kind of taste that is a bit of an explorer who finds like the new thing, and then I'm mm-hmm. I'm into it, and then yeah, definitely people are like, "Why do you like that? That's so weird." And then next thing you know fucking they're doing it too and you can buy it at walmart you know yeah. like and you're just like and so that's dead to me now or or like even if you genuinely like the people or whatever who is behind whatever that particular mo- movement is um it's still disheartening when something that you have a personal somewhat intimate connection with because you've found it on a flyer that you picked up at the coffee shop or something, right. you know, like it wasn't, it was like somebody's hand drawn flyer versus like a glossy, like poster that a promotion company designs and has a street team and prints up. And then, uh, so to have like that intimate connection of feeling like you've discovered something unknown and right. you, you feel it's, it's yours. Yeah. You have a story about like how, how you found that. And then you, tried it out and you liked it and then it reaches a critical mass when enough people do it and enough people who are in positions of power who can then get it to that next level also see that same thing and the stars kind of align Mm -hmm. and next thing you know they are having those glossy flyers and then all the basic people are talking about it and they're like i was never and then the the and then they adjust what they're doing because people higher up are saying, you know, you'd sell more records if you did this, you know, that this would sound better if we used this producer that's had, you know, like loads of hit records under their belt. Yeah. And it's, it's natural and, and change and evolution and like honing your crap. I'm not saying like that people should stop doing it, but maybe the next trend on the rise isn't so much a stylistic trend that's visual or even like auditory, but maybe it's more experiential where these yeah. big uh, sort of massive events like the Super Bowl are no longer a thing that people are interested in. And it's really more like mm-hmm. people want and crave real int- intimacy and experiences that are on a small scale, but maybe would be willing to pay a higher price to be part of that exclusive clap exclusive crowd um i mean like what's that ramen place in atlanta right now that's doing like glow-in-the-dark ramen pop-ups and they sold out whoa yeah 
Okay, how do I sign up for that? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> and Can so, I go to the Super Bowl of glowing ramen? <laughs> I feel like that'd be gross. <laughs> you know? But, like, it works on a small scale for some reason in my mind. It's like everything's yeah. under black light, and it's like a small thing, but they their tickets look sold out. Like, they okay. have nightly dinner party kind of things. And so it's not the Super Bowl, but you get that takeaway of the – this was an incredible experience and I've got something to talk about at like the water cooler is kind of a dated expression. Right. The water but yeah, cooler. around the water cooler and possibly around like the payphone um, at the office as well. The payphone? Uh, yeah. We'll go hang out by the fax machine. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the, if your office is the street corner, right. I guess the payphone is like the office water cooler. <laughs> hey, lobbies used to have payphones. You don't know. Um, well, the I think what you're you're kind of realizing is that the the whole thing that I've realized very very recently, which so I've worked on myself and as a musician and performer in stages, and when I kind of realized like okay, so like I, I'm where I imagined myself to be, or I'm pretty confident about that one facet of myself. What's next? And I'm starting to realize that the the whole game right now is how do I create a moment yeah. that people take with them? Like, mm-hmm. um, so I was listening to um, that interview with Nate Staniforth that Pete Holmes did. Oh, yeah. Pete Holmes um, is also the guy I was talking about on Crash. Yes. Uh, I couldn't remember. Thank you. He, so I read that dude's book. And he is, uh, Nate Staniforth is a magician. And at Can one you point. Can clarify what you mean by magician? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> illusions. Um, okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you. He's just like a magician of magic. Um, <laughs> a, ma- a magician in the traditional. Yeah. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Performing sense. Yeah. Like, yeah, like touring, you. doing colleges, playing little sweaty rooms, um, doing, doing parlor tricks mm-hmm. and, um, and then later, much larger stages. Mm-hmm. And he kind of lost the religion and walked off stage about two thirds of the way through a show because he was like, I'm, I'm done. I'm a fake. Oh. You know, yeah. like he started feeling like this is not good. He had a Dave Chappelle moment. Yeah. 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 And similarly to Mr. Chappelle, uh, he went to another continent to try to find what he lost. Mm-hmm. Um, the story of his book, and he's about to put out another one, I think, unless it's just another, um, uh, magicians occasionally publish books of their magic tricks mm-hmm. yeah. so that people can't steal them. Right. Yeah. Um, but he put out a book called, uh, this is real magic. Oh, I've heard of this book. I haven't read it, but I've heard about it and it's about intention and like meditation a little bit. Like, uh, and I mean, you, you read it, so Right. And yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to kind of get to the point without uh, spoilers because it was such a such a great book. I, I own the physical copy. I'm making my 14-year-old read it. Awesome. And uh, I just listened to the audio book while I was driving around. And uh, his point kind of was like, how do you go from being a, a magician that's touring colleges to being the kind of performer that can stand in front of an audience jump up on somebody's table on the the table of a heckler mm-hmm. the most um 
the enemy in the room uh, to your act stand up on their table and say, if everyone will just give me five minutes, I'm going to show you something that you will never, ever forget. Um, I contacted him and kind of talked with him about, like, what can I do? And, of course, uh, being a real smart guy, uh, he didn't give me answers. He gave me questions. And one of them was, like, well, what makes music shows memorable to you? And, it, you know, it's having something that doesn't happen every day and not have it be contrived and have it be something that reached out and involved me. And I'm not talking about like everybody clap your hands, you know, or everybody yeah, sing along no. um, yeah. because those things can happen in the course of a show, but they are not, you don't go home and tell everybody we sang along during the last no, chorus of the song. No, You I, go home and you, you tell them about the thing that you saw that made you feel like it was real again, that made you feel the way music made you feel when you were... 15 through 17 and music meant more to you than at any other time in your life. Like how does an adult turn that back on inside of another adult? That's my whole job right now. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that it's impossible, but I think it is like, it's not something you're going to get at the Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm not sure of myself or anything anymore, but I McIntyre and we're going to talk about more stuff. Yeah, I wanted to ask because the um, part of the the answer that I arrived at for um, like, how do I how do I uh, get people to kind of pull out of being an adult is uh, to like appeal to them with a story. Um, a lot of the new record is kind of like rooted in like not comfortable stuff so um, just to like interject for just a second mm -hmm. um you're in a band yeah yeah currently uh playing a band like... called the pinks cool yeah just that's the record you're talking about what's yeah we have a, a new album coming out april 12th called sisters and brothers congratulations thank you um it'll be our third full-length record and uh our second record in like three years so I'm that's pretty, awesome yeah it's a pretty good track record right i'm shooting for once a year one day i'll get there but um i've, I've always had kind of like a larger percentage of story songs and not you know like sitting there singing about a, a ballad of uh you know a character or anything but i mean like it's based on my actual life um, and while I was writing the record, I had some depressive episodes. Like I had some like pretty, pretty severe ones that I had to turn inward and like figure some shit out. And, uh, I also had like a lot of having to get comfortable with being depressed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, depression's really tough. It's, uh, I've certainly been depressed and I, I wouldn't say that I am, well, last week I was fine, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I had a an like a an witness. 
somebody from my past reached out who is like the only person who does this to me. But every time I hear from them, I'm just like, ah, why? And I, I yeah. question everything. And I, I go through this like cycle of like, like being thrilled mm -hmm. to questioning everything to being completely depressed and then being like, it's going to be fine. So it's definitely cyclical, but like, it's just this one. It can also be triggered by stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and one thing I uh, read today, like randomly was like one symptom of depression is that you just don't feel anything. Mm. And like, you're not happy. You're not sad. You're just fine. And I'm like, how is this possible? Because okay. I mean, I feel fine. Like, like, Lots of the time, and I wouldn't call myself depressed. No, 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 <laughs> no. Um, well, so I've had that kind of depression, and it was like anxiety levels got so high that um, certain chemicals in my body at that point tapped out. Mm -hmm. um, uh, a symptom called brain fog kicked in, and it made it very hard to think about like the past, and it made it very hard to like what am I doing next week or tomorrow? And it, it kind of, um, I had like a really extended dissociative state where I felt like I'm not really here. Mm. Like I'm watching a movie about a depressed guy, but I don't feel depressed. But this guy that I'm watching do everything is fucking everything up. You know, or, you know, there's a, there's yeah. a pile of clothes or junk on, on this guy's side of the bed that's getting bigger and bigger every day. Why doesn't he do something about it? You know, like just, I'm pulling for myself and then watching myself not succeed throughout various like regular self care tasks. It's a really weird kind of depression. up with a mom who is bipolar and manic depressive mm -hmm. and she so watching her be depressed is very very different from my own episodes and i'm like yeah that's first of all anybody who's out there struggling with mental health like you're in my thoughts it's everyone has a personal struggle that they go through some are more intense and severe than others um, and please don't be afraid to get professional help if that's something that you need. Um, I wish my mom had because I feel like my mom, so to give you some background, uh, is bipolar and depressive and did not want to take medication and hasn't for most of my life. And it's made it. Why is um, that? Is it like stubbornness or like, yeah. I, why do you want to take my feelings away from me or, um, she got really religious Okay. And joined a cult. And okay. the cult was like, uh, well, if you're one of us, you don't have to take your medication. And so she was, she just got into quoting the Bible a whole lot. And um, there's just no reasoning with her having a conversation with her that's not about the Bible now. And that is a result of these ingrained, uh, well, 
prolonged period of having a chemical imbalance that hasn't been treated, but also these like neurological pathways in her brain are just like uh, wagon wheel tracks, just like thinking the same thoughts over and over and over again, being reinforced with the people she surrounds her with, with her, with the people that she surrounds herself with. And unfortunately that number of people has just kind of dwindled away. Yeah. I had a grandmother that was very similar and she raised my dad who was not chemically Mm -hmm. similar, but like if you are raised in an environment with somebody who has like undiagnosed or untreated uh, mental health issues, they rub off on you like big time. And I am still dealing with the, you know, the, the aftershocks of all of that right now. You know, like I, I feel like every single time I, I butt up against like, oh, this is what everybody else is like. This is like how everybody else reacts to this situation. Why do I react? Why do I take this one thing super personally? Why is this a raw spot for? Oh, oh, it's because of my dad, you mm-hmm. know, made me crazy because his mom made him crazy. Yeah. Uh, which all of those things kind of like ball up and like, well, Adam, here's more reasons for you to be depressed. You know, but it, mine, mine's also like a cyclical thing. And I, I, I don't want to seem like I'm talking about this stuff like for the folks who have it right now. I'm not talking about this like gleefully, like, oh, isn't this fun that we have this thing that we, that we have in common? It's kind of more like it's – I want everybody to understand like I don't have any problem talking about it because I think everybody should be able to talk about it without everybody else in the room like slowly backing away. Yeah, yeah. And – that's, you know, I'd rather talk about it. Um, I mean, this is my platform. Um, and I would rather be part of the solution, which I think is a healthy discourse about issues. So they don't become taboo or fetishized, or just hidden away to where they fester and become something way worse. Um, because unfortunately, uh, being depressed and then becoming depressed about being depressed because it's taboo doesn't help. Oh yeah. yeah like <laughs> you know, the, there's mean- <laughs> this whole layer of, uh, and it's not the only reason for that layer of anxiety on top of depression, but like all of this disappointment that you feel in yourself when it starts up again, where it's like, no, yeah. no, you know, yeah. like, like, like you're like a car that starts screwing up again and you don't want to have to take the car to the mechanic because that's admitting that something's wrong with the car. Yeah. <laughs> but then it just gets worse on its own, just like you do. Um, you know, like the getting down on yourself for being depressed is the worst. And just being able to say like, Hey, I, I can't, you know, do whatever today literally because I can't make myself do it. Like maybe tomorrow I'll have the spoons to, you know, get up and get dressed and go do that stuff because I want to. But like sometimes it just doesn't – it doesn't happen. So like – Oh, yeah. I mean Sunday – we so – we were supposed to record this interview originally on Sunday during the Super Bowl, which is kind of mm-hmm. why I feel like maybe I'm talking about it so much randomly. Um, but well, it just happened. Everybody's talking about it. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. Um, but I had so much stuff that I needed to get done, frankly, because um, I'm I'm leaving the country next week. And what? Yeah, I'm gonna be in Nicaragua when this comes out. Um, hopefully, do um, I have do I have to tape the podcast myself? You might um, <laughs> with a pickle. <laughs> yeah, pickle would help. And so while while um, while we were were calling in sick from taping this, 
Um, I had a migraine. Yeah. And I have migraines for, uh, I think, a couple of reasons. And one of them is like, what, so one kind of headache is like, oh, no, like I've got this thing to do that's like right outside of my comfort zone. And then as soon as I cancel, guess what? Like headache goes away. But like I, I have like actual real migraines. Mm, yeah, me and, too. And um, the other kind of migraine that I get is just brought on by a huge weather change that's about to happen or nothing that I know of because like <laughs> kind of like everything is a migraine trigger, you know, and as I'm getting older, I'm having them more and more. And I like sometimes they're not that bad. And it's just a matter of me being like, okay, I need to leave this party or this show or whatever mm-hmm. and go home and go to sleep. It's like a nuisance because like for me, it's like, uh, the only real cure for it is sleep, it seems like. Sometimes I can't get away from it in sleep. Um, and, I've and had them wake me really up. Bad. Oh, yeah. Um, like, I, <laughs> one time I had, like, it just felt like an ice pick between my ears just stabbing me. And it wasn't, like, an earache. It was a migraine. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? And it woke me up from, the, like, a mm-hmm. middle of the night deep sleep. And yeah, those are... I I had one of those and I went to the like the uh, urgent care. Like that's one of the few times that I've done that. I've never done it. Normally, I don't. I just don't bother, you know, because like I know that at some point I'm going to go to sleep and be able to get away from it and wake up and things might look weird still. My sense of balance might be way off because I have like migraine vertigo. But oh, I do too. At least the pain will be gone. I I feel really bad. Like so, I didn't realize that migraine vertigo was a thing. But at yoga, mm-hmm. I get it a lot. And I'm like, I have to stop. Like, ha- not like about halfway through the class. I'm just like, okay, well, I'm done now because my sense of balance is just out the window. Yeah. And it's kind of annoying. Yeah. I go there to work out and then my brain's like, ha ha. Right. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm going to go do something to, to make myself feel better. And then your head goes, well, not really. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, I went to... Um, Arizona last year to work on a, a short film. Um, and while I was there, I had the worst migraine of my entire life. And uh, like, I was at a bar with a friend of mine and I had only had like two beers. And so I definitely wasn't drunk. And then after that, my, my head started hurting and I I just, I probably drank like 15 big giant glasses of water. Mm-hmm. Like those big red Coca-Cola cups for like a liter. Yep. I had like 15 of those and my head still felt, I couldn't hold a conversation. I was just like apologizing to everybody. Um, like went to, the only place that was open was this, a Walmart next to the Days Inn that I was staying at next to the Navajo Reservation out in, um, oh, where the hell was I? Anyway, somewhere in Arizona. Um, New Mexico, one of those states it was on the Navajo reservation. The, yeah, they've got they've got a few Navajo reservations and uh, different Gallup. Parts, so. I was in Gallup, New Mexico. Yeah, that's there where I was. It's like it's a really cool little town where they used to film old movies, and they've got like uh, this hotel there called. Terrible with names. They've got a cool hotel there where John Wayne used to stay. <laughs> oh, okay, and I they, think I know the one that you're talking about. Yeah, and they have like these giant crystal geodes that are like amethysts in there, and everything's made out of like longhorn horns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like 
It's all this one aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I was like, should I pause it because of the dog making the noise? Um, yeah. It's all this like crazy kind of campy old West, old Hollywood mm-hmm. meets Indian reservation style that you didn't know existed anywhere. But when you see it in person, it's kind of amazing. I have seen that place on one of the ghost hunting programs that my son watches. That is totally because I've been to Arizona and also I've seen that episode that was on that hotel. Uh, so you yeah, got a migraine in that hotel? Uh, not in that hotel because I didn't stay there. I see at the shitty cheap like, uh, well, I stayed on the reservation in a hotel, which was, uh, it was not the nicest hotel on the res. Mm-hmm. It was the cheapest um, and it wasn't good, um, <laughs> but uh, it, I got one next at like a hotel right next to the res and I just couldn't, I couldn't get rid of it. it I thought I was going to die. Mm. And I was like, I flew all this way. I'm out here filming, and I I can't. I couldn't look at my phone. Like digital screens. Oh yeah, like, yeah. It hurts and it doesn't look right. Yeah. Um. So this is this is both an obvious thing, and I'm only kind of like asking this to see what your answer is going to be. Have you tried meditating while you have a migraine? Uh no. I it's never occurred to me, frankly. Has have you? Yeah, oh yeah. Does it work? Um, <laughs> I'm sure that we have listeners right now that are nodding in extreme agreement and shaking their head no, like you idiot. No, yeah. of course it doesn't. Because uh, there's a certain percentage of the time that that works. Um, like sometimes when you're like, I'm, it's gonna get me. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna die. Mm-hmm. Like it's. They're going to find me and they're not going to know what happened to me. My brain melted. The, well, there's no way to go into the me- – like the, I, and I say this because uh, I'm not like a pro at it or anything. I've been doing it for not all that long. But I can't get in – I can't find it when it is – when I'm in that much pain. But yeah. it, it would be the biggest help if I could. Um, I mean, I, I think that learning that is a – really advanced skill so i don't think you should feel bad at all for not being capable of doing that just yet but i don't think that it's impossible oh no it's i mean it's a goal yeah but even then i'm sure that there are probably plenty of people that can have the the migraine that i'm talking about where it's like i think i think that i am literally going to die yeah you know and you start kind of getting scared and then start going like well good (laughs) at least i won't have this headache anymore (laughs) i mean that like in every near-death experience i've had like when uh i've kind of given into it and been like well this is how i die like that's when it sort of like lets up Mm -hmm. somehow um for some reason but i mean and I have, uh, I've kind of talked about this before, but I have a real sense of duty in this lifetime that I'm, I'm here for a reason and I have a mission, but I, somebody forgot to tell me what the mission was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's okay. Like it's The mission's of... defined the thing that the mission is. Yeah, exactly. But like, <laughs> I don't know what the hell that is. Yeah. <laughs> so I just kind of have to go through life, like, uh, doing the best that I can living off of like my gut instincts and my super sensory abilities more than my technical skills a lot of times. But um, I think that uh, in times of like, especially after my most recent like near death experience, there was a freak car accident. Did I tell you about this? Um, I think you talked about it on the podcast. 
Maybe, yeah, maybe it did. It was a car accident where, like, a bunch of cars around me were all in a wreck, and somehow I didn't get touched. And, oh, yeah. And I was going, like, 90 miles an hour, and I survived, and it just sort of, like, reaffirmed that, like, from similar to my other near-death experiences in the past, like, uh... I still have a I still haven't accomplished the goal, whatever that quote unquote goal is. The mission has not been completed. Mm-hmm. Um, or this is the timeline where you didn't die in that accident. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Dark thoughts with Adam. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It it feels more like I got nudged out of the way mm-hmm. <laughs> um, than yeah. than it was like yeah. I I had a. a nudged out of the way moment the other day on 285 for oh sure. Oh my god, 285 I, is terrifying. A guy super narrowly missed me and I his his side mirror and my side mirror were one in front of the other ah, for just a second. That's and I happened terrifying. to look over during that and caught up with him a second later and beep beep flipped him off and he was like, "Man, get out of here with that." And I was like, "No, I mean, I think that you earned getting flipped off." Yeah. You know? <laughs> I read it like uh somebody the other day was talking about like how much worse they feel when they get shamed, like when they're not getting like aggressively uh, rebuted for bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Like they're just getting the like the sad nod from yeah. somebody, and that makes them feel worse. Or well, like the shame finger, right? Like wagging at you, like you should not have done that. Well, here's the deal: like if you do something that you know is stupid and you get away with it, you're going to do it again. And if you do something that you know is stupid and you kind of got away with it and somebody saw you and was like, you know, that's not cool, right? Like, that's that's just society yeah. doing what it does to correct the, the you know, sort of ne'er-do-wells. It's the closest word that I can think oh, yeah. of right now. But, like, if you're in Germany mm-hmm. and you do something that you know is iffy, anyone, not just a cop, anyone will step in and be like, you know, that's wrong. Like, we we don't do that. Yeah. They're a much more advanced society than we are currently. A lot of them are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, world. Uh, we'll get better. Hopefully this is the uh, the worst it'll be. Well, that's a perfect segue uh, back into uh, talking about the new Pink's record. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Freedom had my car on the cover, and it was done up like in stars and stripes. And it's it was my car, looking like Evil Knievel's car, sort of, uh, or Wayne Kramer's guitar, um, in a white box. And that was like meant to symbolize like the car symbolizes freedom, and the white box Coffee. symbolizes like the boundaries mm-hmm. of that freedom, like mm-hmm. the freedom that you have. Gotcha. Um, and everybody's got to figure out like where the boundaries of that are. And frankly, if you're wrong, it's somebody else's job to let you know, like, hey, this is my freedom over here. Yeah. If you're encroaching on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Stop encroaching on my freedom, straight white guy. (laughs) And don't be boring. (laughs) So that was, that was right. Don't be boring. Yeah. (laughs) And so that was like done while Obama was president. Mm -hmm. And it is a, like a, it was, you know, not written during a gleeful time for me personally, but generally it is 
turning shitty stories about myself into like kind of lighthearted or funny songs. There's a, there's a couple of songs on there that are like heavier, like ones about having a religious experience on top of a volcano. And one was about my first wedding night where, you know, my uh, ex was like throwing up and shitting all over the place and the cops showed up. Um, Yeah. And uh, I, I've told both of those stories enough times to where I don't, you know, I don't sure. need to run into it here. But uh, then we have a new a new presidency and people start <laughs> losing their civil rights. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, uh, and it's it's not my imagination. Mm-hmm. It's you know, I'm not I'm not being gaslit like people have lost rights. Yeah. Since he's become president. Children and- have gone missing that are I mean, it's it's so disturbing. And the thought of those kids Children like go missing every day, yeah. but normally that's not like the you, government doing it. Normally, you can't ascribe that to the president. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, and that's that's unusual. And like, even his even <laughs> his wrong. biggest supporters. <laughs> yeah, um, I I feel like it's it's his biggest supporters' job to stop waving that away and acknowledge it. Like, well, I mean, these these children are missing right now, and it's because of. The president, or you know, um, uh, his administration's uh, new rules. Unfortunately, I mean, I come from a family who all voted for him, mm-hmm. and I've had some really infuriating conversations with lots of people, and I feel like uh, there's never a really good. At least I haven't figured out how to do it yet. A good way to convince somebody who is so firmly entrenched in their beliefs that what they do is right Mm -hmm. um, to give, like, to open them up to a change of mind because you point out how they're wrong, and it just doesn't work psychologically. Right. I boy, I've been noticing that. Yeah, and instead, like, and I'm, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. Instead, you have to present things in terms that they identify with themselves. And because so many of them, and I'm talking about my family personally at this point, like so many of the people in my family who voted for this guy have always been comfortable. They've mm-hmm. never had to worry about how to pay for medical care. Um, and Or they were just used to the situation the way it was. But they had a self-interest in keeping it that way. Yeah. They have their reality. Yeah. And everybody else lives in, in their reality, right? Actually, no. Yeah. And that is that is one of the hardest things uh, for his supporters to, to grasp. Um, I think it it's probably a lot more important you don't have to point it out to us. Yeah. But you need to point out to his supporters, like, look, we're all more alike yeah. by a lot than oh, yeah. we are different. Yeah. And if you if you leave your farm, if you leave your suburb, mm-hmm. um, if you if leave you, your country, you'll, you you'll find people other, like yourself. Yeah. If you fly to the other side of the world, and even if you don't speak the same language, you're going to meet people who are motivated by the same things that you are. Right. And you'll go somewhere else and you'll find out that, like... Somebody who's a different color than you is calling you the lazy immigrant, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, calling you the ne'er-do-well. And it's like, hang on, I don't have anything to do with that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, like that's a, that is actually a lesson that we all need to learn that. Yeah. 
everywhere you go, people are kind of dicks. But like you try to find what's in those people that you can identify, that you can start a conversation with and leave them them with a a gooder feeling than they had about you before. And being from Montgomery, Alabama, being raised on a farm, Mm -hmm. growing up in a family that shot guns competitively. And... uh, I'm 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 the dude to walk into the the bar and do that to go like look I I'm the same thing as you yeah like I came from the exact same spot of land that you came from the difference is that I went somewhere else and I I met other people I met the people that you're scared of and I figured out that we're all people. Well, uh, one of my favorite sayings is that travel is the antidote to prejudice, because as soon as you are getting out of your comfort zone, you are expanding your mind and your consciousness, and you're seeing people living their lives, and you are, A, you become grateful for whatever it is that you have that you're so attached to, um, but also, B, like, you really learn to admire the people who have less than you. Or more, you know, depending on where you're at. Right. But, like, you learn to respect the other versus be a, the aggressor of their existence. Um, and being resentful that they are here on your turf or vice versa. Um, I think one, t- one thing that meditation does really, really well if you get to um, going kind of, like, back and looking at different theologies from a broader perspective. Um, You see that most religions have more in common than they do. Yes. Like not in common. And I think one thing that meditation does really well is you kind of experience that connection personally without labels. Right. And we're not going to be able to get fundamentalist Christians to meditate because somebody has told them that that is the work of the devil. Yeah, but fundamentalist Christians also partake in rituals all the time. Bingo. And yes, they don't exactly. um they don't necessarily call it that. Right. Um or if they do, they call it Easter. Right. <laughs> you right. know, or or right. something, you know. And but that's what happens when you like when you back away from <laughs> Christianity, it doesn't mean that you're going towards something else necessarily. But when you back up and look at it, you can see like, oh, yeah. Now I see what it has in common with everything yep. else instead of like why it's different. Right. Yeah, like why is like what is the big difference between a cross and a star of David? You know, like Well, a cross is horrifying when you think about oh, it. Oh. I mean <laughs> Yeah. I, I mean like Jesus I'm, coming back on, well, here's the thing they killed me on. That's I mean, weird. I, I think like I'm I know I was Jewish in a past life, probably multiple past lives. Um Mainly, like, one of the first symbols I ever saw in one of my meditation sessions was the Star of David, um, like, being drawn in, like, gold light. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But also... Well, it's, like, mathematically perfect, too, right? Oh, yeah. And it's also, like, the symbol of Jupiter, and I was born on a Thursday. There you go. And also, like, there's... Like multiple into intimations of the Star of David with the orbit of Earth and Jupiter and its asteroid system mm-hmm. that makes like us like three times repeating uh, Star of David. So it's like, wow. yeah, it's like kind of a perfect shape. Um, but I'm not Jewish. Um, but yeah, Christianity does kind of make me think of zombies a whole lot. 
Yeah. 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 I hit. Yeah. yeah. I realized that when I was about 21 uh, myself, I think I was probably like getting stoned for the first time and was like, oh man. Yeah. They want us to eat his body and he <laughs> right. came back from the dead and they want us to drink his blood. All these people are zombies. But yeah. also like they don't want us to listen to rock and roll. What's right. up with that? <laughs> well, um, rock and roll uh, gets gets the white kids and the brown kids dancing together. And, oh yeah, oh yeah, and uh, and uh, talking to each other and understanding that they're more alike than they are different, and it makes them harder to control. Oh yeah, and that's you know I think ultimately uh, the maybe the running th- theme throughout this whole conversation is like the dynamics of power and people in power wanting to maintain it and to do that dividing demographics yes. and making them point their fingers at each other so, is good for business. So who is them. benefiting from dividing our country and making the oligarchs? Yeah. Did you use the R word though? I mean, no. They can come in any shape and form and call they pr- themselves they what they They probably can. But uh, I'm the talking reptilians. About, I'm talking about Russians. Oh. <laughs> and everybody's going, oh, he's talking Republicans. No, I'm talking Russians. Oh, yeah. It's not Russians. It's not our country that's benefiting from, from mm-hmm. everybody being divided. And that's kind of the thing that, yeah. that worries me the most about it. Uh, and the new record is almost like entirely about unity Mm. there was one thing at the very end um that we might have to edit out because it doesn't thematically fit with anything else that i've talked about but i did want to uh talk about like some like let's get weird Mm -hmm. um so the very (coughs) end of the record um do you know what whippoorwills are? The bird? Yeah. 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 They're a nocturnal bird. They look really weird. I've never seen one. Um, I'm going to Google it. Yeah. And I had never seen one as a kid, but we had whippoorwills that lived in the woods in front of and behind our house when I was a kid growing up. And so at night I would hear the... Mm. And I'd hear these things out in the woods and, like, try to imagine what it is that they look like. They kind of look like a grumpy murder bird. They look like a grumpy murder bird. Their mouths open super wide because they will steal and eat eggs of other birds. Oh, look at that one. He looks they're, like he just, he was like, me. Yeah, they're super, <laughs> super weird. And I've never, they're I've obviously cute, never seen though. one. I would love to get some. So... I hadn't heard these birds since I was a kid. Like, do you want some domestically, like in your house, or like that in would your probably yard? be a bad idea? Bob yeah. Ross would caution me that these are outdoor birds. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. I, I would like big. to. I'd like to get them and like, have them in the area. Raise them and put them in the woods. Cool. You know, yeah. like try to reintroduce them into the habitat, not because they steal eggs, but because they're they belong here. Yeah. And uh, humans living here has kind of run them out. Um, so they just they don't exist anywhere useful in the food chain anymore because of us. So it would be kind of cool if I could reintroduce them. Anyway, um, so I'd hear these things when I was a kid growing up, and I hadn't heard them since I moved away from home. So let me tell you a real quick story about the next time I heard them. Um, I, and I need to mention uh, my friend Bumperberry. Uh, I had just changed schools, and I was 14 and he was 16 and so he was you know two years older and bigger than me and i was a very slight 
super skinny freshman in high school. And I was at this redneck school, um, a real big target for bullies. Like, you and were different. I, I was different in ways that they didn't understand. So I got called a fag a lot. That's called being different. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's and yeah. plus that's just their fallback for when they can't figure out what it is about you. Oh yeah. I got called a lesbian a whole lot because I had a giant mohawk and wore camo a lot. Well, those two things are proven to make you gay. Yeah. So, um, that explains things. <laughs> um, so he, he stepped in and I was, I was being like physically assaulted on a daily basis. Um, and getting to the point where I was getting really super anxious about going to school at all. And I'm like telling this guy this one day, like after we both discovered that each other played guitar and we were the only two musicians at our school. And so, of course, like we met at a talent show audition. I'm telling him about like my issues and I've been there for, you know, a couple of months at that point. And he's like, I will take care of that for you. Awesome. He went around and told my bullies not to ever speak to me again or he would kill them. Perfect. And it worked. Yeah. Um, and I went from being like a severely bullied 14 year old to like, don't talk to him. Don't touch him. Um, and I, uh, everybody was kind of scared of me just again, just, they did not know what to make of me. You know, like they all wore cowboy boots and brush popper shirts and Wrangler jeans. And when I did that, I looked ridiculous. Like I looked so stupid and they could tell like, well, he's not one of us. He makes an effort, but like somehow he's trying too hard. And that's worse. And that's worse than just being whatever it is. so much worse. That, sorry, so I, I kind of went back to like just doing what I did. Mm-hmm. And this guy was like, hey, everybody needs to like, you know, at least know that this guy is good at playing guitar. Like he has he has a quality that calls for his like redemption in your eyes. And so he reintroduced me to my high school and I was never, ever anywhere near popular. I was never even like I wasn't even halfway up. You know, I always kind of occupied that spot, like, between third from the lowest and the lowest, you know, like at any given time. And uh, a lot of you know what I mean. (laughs) Um, So he would come over to my house a lot as we were rehearsing for the talent show at school. And he would come over to my house a lot, like, after the talent show was over. And we just hang out and play guitars and tell stories. And he was a pretty like expert storyteller and he was a really funny guy. And he looked kind of like you would imagine I would look two years in the future. Um, Like he was still like kind of nerdy looking like me, but for some reason, and I guess it's because he was like 25% jock. All the girls at school loved him when they couldn't have cared less about me. All the guys were cool with him. You know, when they were like, we just want to beat the shit out of you kid. And we don't know why. Um, and it was summertime and he was on his way over to my house and he got hit by a car and killed. And my dad pulled me out of work and, you know, pulled me aside at the house and I, he, he wasn't talking and he seemed like he wasn't breathing either. And I knew something was wrong with my dad. Jeez. And he tells me like, Hey, Bumper died today. Oh, my and, best. and you think that yeah. you heard them wrong, right? Yeah. Like that your mind, first thing your mind does is reject it. And then there's 
Oh, yeah. There's, you know, minimum to max 25 years of, like, just not being able to comprehend it. I mean, my best friend died the summer after my freshman year in high school. Mm. Crossing the street, she got run over by an off-duty cop. That is a super not fun thing that we have in common. Yeah. Right on, listeners. So we just, <laughs> we just made it super awkward in the middle of an already not fun thing. I mean... Look, some of my best friends are dead. Oh, most of mine are. <laughs> or they're not allowed to talk to me. Or they live in other countries. And, yeah. However uh, they go, they go. But um, I had a really weird relationship with this guy after he died. I kept on, all of us in school, kept on going back to his grave uh, nightly, several times a week, once a week, once every two weeks. And then a few years later, it's, I just visit his grave on the anniversary of his death. Yeah. 25 years later, I am visiting his grave. This was this past summer. And, um, Oh, I, Rebecca died in the summertime too. Nice. Sorry. Um, was it July 3rd? Uh, I don't know. I want to say it was June 14th or something like that um it's it stays with you for yeah. a while um i know it was a week sure. before her 14th birthday there you go or 15th birthday one of those not not fun it was it was one of the most traumatic times of my life for sure and i, I had two solid years of alcoholism like i i did not know I had how to, to deal with schools. it yeah i i did well, you go to therapy uh, yeah. And I, I had, uh, I also went to like a meta metaphysicist as well, who, Whoa. um, my best friend had sort of partially attached herself to me spiritually speaking. Yeah. Um, and that is kind of where this is going. Yeah. And I had to have her like sort of exercised off of me, not exercised, yeah. word, but like I yeah. had to have her attachment removed from my energetic, my aura, my energetic body because, she was leeching my energy away, and I was so, also incredibly depressed already and yeah. having a really – she was my best friend in the whole world, mm -hmm. and the only person I could talk to about such complicated feelings was the one who was gone. Right. You know, and I, I'm sure you feel – Well, this, this was my only friend yeah. um, at, that, at that time. Um, so as I'm walking through the graveyard um, – I had brought my girlfriend and my oldest son with me and they're, they're there with me. So I'm not, I wasn't scared anyway, mm -hmm. but this feeling of fear starts to come up as you get closer to the grave. And then I passed through like a wall of psychic tragedy feelings mm -hmm. right before I got there. Yeah. Like I closed my eyes and walked through it and it was all of the pain of the day that happened and yeah. the day we lowered him into the ground mm. and I got to the grave and knew me, mm -hmm. realized something. Why are you still, why do I feel your presence here at your grave after 25 years? And I thought about it and realized like all of us were going back to your grave every day saying, we wish you weren't gone. We wish you were still here. If we could do anything to bring you back, we would. We need you. We don't know how we can go on without you. And he's still there 25 years later. Why? And I, I'm i tearing up as I am, like, realizing this. He's and there I'm for like, you guys to keep coming. 
And I tell him, like, dude, we're fine. Like, the the big loser in all of this is you. Like, you, I don't know exactly what you see, but you have a door there. If, yeah. you, if you have some sort of door, that's not a door. That's your door. You were supposed to go through it. I am so sorry if we led you to believe that, like, we needed you to hang on and stay in this spot forever. And the sky was turning purple and fog was creeping into the graveyard from the forest that surrounded it. And whippoorwills mm. started up and uh, bats were flying through the air. And I walked over to record the whippoorwills. And you could hear my girlfriend Natasha talking on some of the recordings. And I was like trying to get like some, you know, cleaner sounding recordings of it. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of awestruck by the entire moment. I turned around and took a few steps back toward his grave and he wasn't there anymore. Like there was no, oh, I just nothing. got chills. Yeah. I mean, I he- didn't feel his presence anymore. There was no more wall of psychic tragedy. It was yeah. gone. And yeah. he I was put- staying for you possibly for me and for other people, I'm sure. And because that was, he had received pretty explicit instructions to hang around And I decided, as the very last notes of our song, uh, Sisters and Brothers, is fading out, which is, again, a song about unity and trying to trying to hold on to each other as the as the as it feels like the world ends, like we Mm. need to we need to hold on to each other instead of push each other away. I decided that as the very last notes of that faded out, that I was going to insert the Whippoorwills recording that I did in that moment, right when I told him to go. And I just pulled all of those listeners and all of you into that moment with me. That's the most, that is, that's the only way that I know how to do the, the magic that mm-hmm. Nate Staniforth was talking about mm-hmm. is tie that into a song. Or in this case, uh, I just tricked everybody who listened to the record into hearing this extremely personal moment that ties my life together. Um, I never would have, I don't think I would have gone to Nashville to pursue music if not, if that hadn't been his dream.
Yeah. Um, I mean, that's just such a, a beautiful story and oddly very similar to mine. Um, so I was in seventh grade. It was like the first week of school and, uh, it was a pretty big school. So I didn't have a ton, I didn't know a ton of people there yet. Um, and I, it was one of my earliest clairvoyant or clairaudient experiences. Um, I was waiting in like in the hallway out in front of my English class and I saw this girl and I didn't think, I honestly thought she like kind of looked dorky. And then I heard a voice that said, you need to go be friends with her. And so I was like, okay. Uh-huh. And like just went and became, she became my best friend and um, she's the one who died. And, I think uh, that the point, the the reason for that like clairvoyant kind of feeling like, oh, hey, this is supposed to happen is that so that they can have the positive effect on your life that they're supposed to have. And if I could like go 25 years back in time and say anything to that kid that didn't understand why this happened and, you know, like survivor's guilt, right? Everybody yeah, like yeah, you, you wish sure. that you died instead. I and know I, I know this yeah. has been a super heavy podcast, but the the point is, if I could go back and tell that kid anything, it would be to tell your best friend, "I'll see you whenever, whenever you want to see me." Yeah, like just because you're gone from this plane of existence doesn't mean that like they're gone, gone. Right. Yeah. Like I talk to my dad in dreams from time to time. And I I felt bumper one time while I was doing something since I did the, you know, you're not attached to this grave anymore thing. Yeah. And it's, he doesn't have any reason to come back and visit me. He's got, you yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, like, and also it's like, there's so much more out there, you know, and lifetimes yeah. of people that they've also haven't seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. That It's okay. My, yeah. you know, like. In in the end, like the grief over the best friend dying is the why is the, why does that have to be the biggest thing about them in my brain? And can I trade that in? <laughs> yeah. Can I actually like? Can I go back in and find those boxes marked guilt and open those boxes up and reappropriate those things to? No. Here's here's the wonderful effect that he had on your life. Here's the belief in humanity that he instilled in you that somehow got buried under like, well, you know, he was taken from me. So fuck everything. Well, I mean, if I had to guess, I would just say that he was probably a very highly evolved spirit. Who's very highly evolved redneck? <laughs> like that's. Yeah. If his family was sitting here right now, they would be laughing their asses off, I guarantee. Yeah. He was a real sweet dude, and it didn't matter what color you were. Like, yeah. Like, he was going to be really, really good to it you. It sounds like he was involved enough to be able to see somebody in trouble who needed some help as well and did, like, some selfless acts to he make sure... He did not tolerate bullying. Yeah, that uh, justice was, like, not even an issue. It just was the way things were going to be. And because uh, he stood up for you, you know. Um, here's a challenge for the listeners. Put 30% more into stopping bullying when you see it. Yeah. Just and speak up and be nice to people or sexual to, harassment. Like try to like outrage is less useful than like actually stepping in and reminding people to be people. And don't don't be an asshole. Or if you see somebody verbally attacking somebody, um, 
go over to the victim and ask them if they want to sit with you or talk to you or maybe even pretend like you know them and be like, hey, it's good to see you. And go for a a walk and, you know, introduce yourself and be like, hey, I saw what was going on back there. And uh, I really just wanted to make sure that you were okay. And we can move on from that situation together. Make a new friend. No, absolutely. And try to remember that, like, when you see something bad happening, that outrage actually delays your action to do anything to stop whatever it is that you're outraged about. Kind of like how, like, the the grief is good. The kind of grief that I had that piled Mm -hmm. on for years and years, not so useful. Not useful to me or the person that died. Yeah, no, I, and I mean, like, I think we're all wired a little bit differently, too. And, like, you know, you might not have resources at your disposal or have had people who know how to deal with really intense grief at that young of an age. And I think society has gotten better at it recently, um, certainly since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact that we're able to sit here and talk about, you know, maybe things that aren't so bright and shiny, happy feelings like is just it's actually a sign of how the time how the times have shifted because i don't think that i would have wanted to have this conversation in any kind of a public arena when oh, i was no. a kid you know yeah. or like when i when i was going through this i would have been like everything sucks fuck you i'm gonna go listen to agent orange bye right <laughs> like and living in darkness was my like theme song personally for years and um there that band like got me through a lot like that album got me through a lot um and it was after her death that i started my fanzine that was a punk rock fanzine started interviewing bands for the first time going to shows and i don't know that i would have had the drive to do something like that had she been around because i probably would have been perfectly content goofing off and hanging out with her um and doing whatever it is we were doing but she caused action in your life though Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, her death kind of, uh, not necessarily on purpose, but there was a rift that occurred between me and the rest of my friends afterwards because uh, this girl who was present at the at the accident that happened, mm. um, sh- she called me first. And I stupidly, being somewhat clairvoyant and untrained, was like, oh, she's going to die. Like... I got the phone call and they were like, Rebecca just got hit by a car. And I was like, oh, she's going to die. Like, I, it wasn't even like, what? It was a. Yeah, not a good time for you to, like, to, to, for the, the voice to come out of your mouth speaking truth. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no. I, like, and they were, and I think that uh, I have a lot to learn sometimes about what is the right thing to say and what's appropriate um, in given situations. And, you know, I, it's good to know your flaws. Uh, I learned that. Yep, the know hard- your darkness. <laughs> I, I learned that the hard way that day. And um, I think she really blamed me for like, even though I had nothing to do with her death, I think she really blamed me for making it real in some way. And she later turned all of my other friends against me. Um, and I, I ended up changing schools. That's not super useful. No. Uh, like, unfortunately, this individual just recently passed away as well. Mm. And uh, it sucks because there's a picture of my best friend and this mm-hmm. other girl who we were all close. And I'm the only one who's alive still. 
And I was like, that's heavy as fuck. And I never would have, and I'm not even 33. <laughs> um, I, I mean, well, I, you know, I, like I would, uh, I would, I would ask for a meeting in a dream. Um, that's, that's just my style. Uh, I call meetings with my dad every once in a while. And sometimes he leaves me a note and tells me he went to Hawaii and sometimes he's there. Uh, but that is what was weird was yeah. <laughs> uh, the day that it happened, I was outside walking pickle and there was an owl in the daytime. Oh, hey. Hooting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was and it was like looking at me and I was like, huh, that's weird. Yeah. What message do you have for me? Yeah. And then I, I like went inside and I was like, that was so weird. That was so weird. And it was the next day that I found out that that was like the time that she had passed. Um, Owls, man. Yeah. I have a song called the owl. There's owl symbolism all in our stuff. And it's always like either they're the symbol or they're the symbol saying, Hey, heads up. There's about to be a symbol. Yeah. They're the, they're the harbinger of whatever, you know, I just had, uh, I had, I had an incident with a, a crow or a raven on Monday on my way to work. I was getting gas up at the Chevron around the corner. And, um, I was like outside pumping gas and this bird was fussing at me. Yeah. Like it was like, and like hopping up and down on the telephone wire. And like, I heard it and I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. I hear you. That I don't know what you're saying, but I, I acknowledge your presence and I'm like, what is going to happen? Right. Because I know you have, you are here for me. It made eye contact with me. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Animal encounters like that, like it's it's either, you know, you're standing on the food that they were going to eat or they're, you know, hey, yeah. you need to pay attention to something that you're doing or, you know, keep your eyes open or whatever. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, like I've been so I've been going through like racking my brain for like any and all associations that I've had with um, uh, crows and um, maybe this will be like the last sad story <laughs> in this episode, in this podcast. But, uh, uh, when we were talking about depression earlier and when I was a teenager, um, I attempted suicide and, um, I am so grateful that it didn't work. Um, incidentally, it was about six months later that my friend died, um, like around the same time. But so like that would have been horrible yeah. for like so many, like I am ashamed to admit that this is something that I thought and that, um, I went through, um, or thought would be like an answer in some way. Um, because it's just, it's so embarrassing, but also if you have thoughts like this, please get help. Like, please don't kill yourself. Um, I've had other friends who have been, you know, like successful in their attempts at suicide and it's same and it's just heartbreaking, but uh, to get back to how this relates to the crow that mm-hmm. I saw, um, basically what I did was just, I emptied the medicine cabinet. That was my method. Um, and I probably took over a hundred pills that night and, wow. uh, I drank mm, a good, like, you know, 18 ounces of whiskey and vodka mixed together because I was like, yeah, let's just do it. Yeah. And, um, so I passed out. I, I don't, I didn't go to the hospital. Nobody pumped my stomach. Um, I 
feel like I died, but I wasn't dead when I woke up the next morning. Um, and I had a, maybe it was an out of body experience or a mental escape of some sort to this planet, this realm of where everything was dark and there was no bright light for me. And, uh, there was a black sky. There was a black, the grass was black. The textures were different. And there was this giant black crow that came and swooped down and was flying around with me on its back going, the only reason I exist right now is to keep you alive because you have something that you're supposed to do and you can't go until it's done. And I was like, well, tell me what it is so I can go do it because I'm done here. Like, (laughs) I'm ready to go. And it was just like, nope, doesn't work that way. No. And you don't get to know how Mm -hmm. major or even like seemingly insignificant that thing is. Yeah. No, it really could literally be anything. Um, My meditation space, by the way, is the place that you just described sans the raven. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. That, so that's where I go to like get away from the migraines and and also to like explore and commune and or just chill. Yeah, I mean that's really really interesting. Like this was, I mean I woke up the next day and uh, I was alive. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. So you were just a teenager keeping that really huge secret, and then something else horrible happened, and then something else horrible happened, and yeah, and then you I was- sort of accidentally moved on. Yep. Well, that's all our time for today. Yeah. <laughs> but that, I mean, that's a super moon. duper reminder that, that being a teenager is the worst. Yeah, it's fucking and horrible. And you can, you know, yeah. hate on teenagers all you want, but the everyone suffers the same, regardless of their their age or where they are in life. Um and teenagers are not equipped. I did not go to therapy for my thing. Yeah. And I, I, you know, like a, like a tree that sustained an, an injury. I grew weird. I went to one therapy it. session after my friend Rebecca died and the therapist kept calling me the wrong name mm-hmm. and I never went back. And then I had to go get yeah. Rebecca removed from my aura. Um, and uh, like, how do you explain that to anybody? Much less when all the people that you're friends with are no longer friends with you. Because they blame you, you. You don't. Yeah, you just you move I also on and you start a podcast feeling, eventually. He was coming over to my house when he got killed. So I also felt like people were kind of like, well, if you guys hadn't been friends, then he'd uh, still be alive. Uh, that's so annoying. Um, I'm an adult, and I know now that that's BS. But that was yeah. a really, like, still. I drank a lot of alcohol because of that. Sure. For a very long time. Yeah, me too. I mean, And like, I, I don't drink anymore now. By the way, which is weird. It's a weird thing to take on when you're 40. I started drinking when I was like 15, um, mm-hmm. pretty much 15. very shortly after Rebecca died. Right. And uh, I mean, I had a fake ID by the time I was 16 and I was hanging out at bars on a regular. Yeah. 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 I was always around it. So it was it was not difficult for me to get. But it's uh, my body stopped taking it. Um, and, uh, I've had, I had like some really scary moments because of it. And, uh, you know, a lot of my songs come from stupid things that I did and, uh, it just was time for me to stop. Like it's, it's not, 
Um, it's and it's not like a I hate everybody that still drinks sort of thing. It's like a I have to get out of the car. I have to get out of the drinking car now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm mm-hmm. sorry, you guys are gonna have to keep on going on without me, but I gotta walk dry yeah. from here. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, it's understandable. Um, so let's wrap up. Uh did, do you wanna leave with a song recommendation for and to wrap up the episode with? Sure. Um maybe either Magic Touch. Um, which to me has one of the more magical moments of the record on it, but it's, it's in the guitar solo. It's not like a lyrical thing. Um, or get up, which was about the first words that my dad said to me after he died. Um, and there's a, there's kind of a, in the middle of the song, there's a tunnel that you go through musically and, and arrive out on the other side. And, um, good opportunity for me to recite the lyrics. Um, uh, I come in after kind of talking about like my dad telling me like I have to get up that I can't just I can't give up now I have to keep on going no matter how dark it seems to be and the lyric when I come back from that dark tunnel is I fight for justice and peace I believe in the land of the free I march for those behind me for my sisters and my brothers and those in between get up right. y'all's calls all right Thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you for having me. All right. That was awesome.